0: Welcome to Jolt. You are so excited. <clears throat> very, very close friend, um, Dr. Jane Aronson, who is, means a lot to me because she helped me adopt my two girls, uh, Georgica and Clara Cecil. And she was so, well, we'll get into it, so helpful, reassuring, saved me from quite a few disasters and was like, you know, just so not only supportive, so brilliant. Oh, I can't even begin to, I could do the whole podcast just on that. And, um, of course, Adam, you know, here. And we have lots of questions for her. She's now um, a child psychiatrist focusing on adoptees. And nobody knows more about them than she does. So welcome, Jane. And we want to ask you how you got started in this international adoption world.
1: You know, I was very fortunate, as many people probably appear on your podcast, by the way jolty fabulous thank just, you that's Annie's name thank you thank uh, you this fantastic really great brand i, I love it thank you uh, so uh, you know i put it, i bet everyone who comes in, and speaks on on the show probably says the same thing i'm going to say is that you know we who end up doing work we love we're very we're just very lucky um, but it's not about luck really it's about how curious and how interested we are in particular things and then when we're curious and interested we just we just can't get enough of it so i was a pediatrician starting in the 80s and that is when one of the great waves of international adoption was happening and when you look back on the history of it there's just so many wonderful moments where different countries came to our came into our view and were busy you know offering us an opportunity to provide good homes and in that time period, in, in the 80s, there was lots going on in many different uh, uh, Spanish-speaking countries. South America, Central America, Mexico, whatever. A lot of that going on. Prior to that was Korea, and then mm-hmm. the big wave was Russia and China in the 90s. All right, so what I'm setting up for you is just the um, these waves and swells of adoption based on different areas of the world and how what was going on for them as far as their population, growing population of abandoned children, whatever the cause, whether it was disaster or poverty or war, um, conflict, uh, there was this really an active changing process of how orphans were growing in numbers. Of course, now we have lots of orphans from other processes, uh, lots of migration has now changed that and and that looks different so we'll get to that but what's really amazing is that my career as a pediatrician 80s 90s 2000s really was a perfect uh, wonderful opportunity for me to learn a science and the science there was about what do orphans look like in different settings around the world for the united states we kind of had a, our brand of orphans so to speak but we we got we got rid of orphanages We understood that orphanages were not good places for children to be raised, even if very wealthy people came into these orphanages in the the turn of the century and poured money in. These kids didn't do well. They died in infancy of failure to thrive and not having any love. And, and, And it's really quite straightforward and very interesting because that's not how to raise children who don't have parents.
2: In those days, in the twi- in the early part of the century and before, it was believed that children should be treated like little adults anyway, right? And they didn't get much love, so I guess that was amplified in the case of orphans.
1: Well, they got a lot of love, though. You know, it's an interesting thing. You're absolutely correct. That was that all those fabulous pictures that you see, and that uh, with little children dressed up in outfits. I mean, they almost look they almost look like miniature adults. They all look dead, actually. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a, it was a very odd way to think about children, but quickly pediatricians, they got into the fray and they were studying children and seeing children differently already. And they ended up actually discovering early on that children obviously had developmental stages and were not little adults. And that behavioral and developmental focus was very powerful and it included lots of love. And unfortunately, though, there were so many orphans that, you know, there was the, the, the that, that whole movement where children were uh, filling up trains. Those boxcars were filled with kids, and they crossed the, the entire, you know, nation. And they were stopping at different towns and cities, and then people were, you know, taking in children that they really, it was marginal regarding creating a family. Really. It was really more about, we're going to do a good thing, but we're also going to have a little bit of work going on. And that's really what happened. And, and that was really a, a, a very good moment in a way for everyone to look at what that was. What is that? People started to really begin to ask questions about urban environments and the life of ur- that urban life of children. How do poor children live? How do they do in a city? And so that was a good thing because it began to- Why is that a good thing? They were looking for free child labor. Well, the good thing was that scientists and psychologists and social workers were really curious to know what's wrong with this. We can do something about it. So lots of aid, if you look at the aid organizations, the history of them, they were born in that time in that this great hundred year period, they came alive and began to serve community and serve people who were resource poor and help kids have a better life.
2: A lot of it was faith-based, as you say, verse still no pun intended, verse, because you didn't have the fertility issues that we have now back then for whatever reason. So a lot of it was to your point but doing the right thing, but there was not as much emotion as there is today behind it.
0: They're kind of second-class
1: part of the family. Exactly. that's true, actually, today in many countries, actually. Oh, lovely. Okay. Whenever you look at anything we talk about, you can just go to the rest of the world and you can look into each continent and you can see that culturally speaking, for instance, there may be requirements, like, let's say, in Africa for a number of countries where children have to be taken in by a family that has means, but they don't have any rights. They won't necessarily have a right to a, the best education that the other kids will have, and they won't have. A re- they won't be able to inherit wealth or property. So, anyway, we're we're getting
2: digressing. But it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, it is. You know what? What Ben brings to mind is that because I was a pediatric aid specialist, I had done a, a fellowship and was really, uh, you know, I was really on. The AIDS watch. I mean, I just really took care of people, babies and adults. That was my thing all through the 80s. I didn't see any other patients. It, it seemed to be that it was just going to be, I was going to just take care of patients with living with HIV and dying of HIV. And that's how my education was. But that led us to understand the rest of the world from a medical perspective, because what was going on in our country ended. We figured that out. We we created medications and we served you know we served it up nicely we were positive pepfar all the rest of it the rest of the world really was quite a mess with regard to that and orphans really were in a lot of trouble they weren't given medicines and that's where i got involved with global work where i took that that information and i started hiv associated programs not just about regular run-of-the-mill orphans but i had other countries that i got involved testing kids getting them into service and also parents treating the mothers and fathers if we could so i had a lot of interest in that but let's get back to the adoption
0: well yeah moving like forward a little bit i mean when i met you yeah. you were a pediatrician and i came to you because you offered well tell the people like you offered advice you had a kit that that had everything in it what could ever possibly go wrong we're very fortunate because you were had relationships and in my case it was china that you could yep. take a look so could you describe a little bit about that process
1: yeah so as that grew i i you know in a sense that that expression you know you monetize things you guys know about all of that i took something that was really pretty disorganized and i made it into a system and you're talking about the travel prep I right. started giving talks to you know to agencies that were really managing the adoption of different children from different countries, and I started to meet with these agencies, and I learned from them, obviously, because the social workers were out meeting uh, various country directors, and then I put together a practice that was solely devoted to international and domestic adoption, actually, and um, still seeing primary care children, but I did something really very unusual, aside from taking good care of uh, face two little sweethearts. Which is all that matters, really, That's Jane, all, that matters. all that matters. <laughs> I, I want to get at <laughs> Rivendell on no You know, let's get back to the And that is what is important. But <clears throat> what I did was really I created a practice that was devoted to children who were being adopted both internationally and domestically so families could come and be near one another. It was really wonderful for people not to feel so stigmatized Cause they were some obviously people who were infertile and didn't make this choice so easily but it became a really a long-term investment in the child in the family so every every other ia doc they had lots of specialties and we were all organized through the american academy of peds but what i did is created a primary care practice with kids who was who were adopted and um and that lasted a fair amount of time. I started it in uh, Withrop Hospital in Mineola in the early 90s. And then that went, I then left there in 2000 and then 15 more years, I did private practice. I left the academic setting and went into private practice. So we're looking at 25 years of really watching kids grow and develop. And like CC and Gigi, we're looking at kids who grew up and now we can see who they are. And they got great medical care and great services because people were looking. What do they need? They need to go to school and be smart, and they can be. And they need to get IEPs and FIBO fours and therapy. I mean, Gigi was a was a little bit of a, a, a floppy mobster when she first came because she Yeah, was, but you
0: warned me about that. Tell the, tell this is what people really want to know about. So tell them what you
1: told me. Well, it was vitamin D deficiency, they had rickets. Which is something that's very common to children who are covered and even women who are Muslim. If they're too covered, then what's going to happen is their, their, uh, their, uh, their milk, their breast milk is going to be vitamin D deficient. And oh. so doctors knew all of this stuff, but I could like put my fingers on it from my reading and my study and then apply it to these kids. So we quickly voided. We have a learning curve. I mean, like what? Straight up. Just let me, we, let me interrupt you. So Jane said to
0: me, you know, when you go there, you might notice that she's just going to fall over, flop over. So I went there, and these two very stern Chinese women, they called me, you know, into this big, enormous ballroom. And there was Georgia Gigi. She was gorgeous. Gorgeous. Like, F.A.O. Schwartz gorgeous. With two people on either side of her. And when they, like moved away she flopped but i was ready
2: <laughs> right
0: i knew she was going to be floppy and you know i gave her she, i don't think kids have ever been bathed i took her into the bath but i didn't know that much about it bathed in the sink and i held on her and she slipped through my hands but, but i caught her under her arms you know and just she was flopping around and but she was really happy baby and they told us how much they fed her gave her eggs and milk this kid never saw an egg or a milk in our life she ate she could eat, because she was uh, about nine, ten months old. she could eat 10 dumplings, 15 dumplings at a sitting. <laughs> they were hungry, and my little one was hungry too. So that was amazing. but I was ready I had a lot of meds, and we left all the meds there. We gave the meds to the you know, orphanage and everything. We weren't allowed at that time to go into the orphanage. Remember that, Gene? they wouldn't let us into the orphanage.
1: but you go yeah, ahead. well, those were the early days, you know, I mean, after a while, I mean, I, I started a foundation. Twenty-three years, I was involved with it, and you know that was really the best part of my life in a way because then I could go to orphanages all over the world and learn about what was going in, what was going on there, so that we could do service and provide uh, education for people working in the orphanage to know that to stop all of that. You didn't have to have rickets if you just took off their clothes and left them in a diaper for fifteen or twenty minutes a day and exposed them to sunlight. You know, and gave them the properly mixed formula, you wouldn't have brickets anymore. And that changed everything. I mean, you know, Gigi was who she was and she got her physical therapy and occupational therapy. But going past all of this, if you fast forward over the decades, things changed. Kids were in better shape and uh and adoption changed. Um and um you know, it's kinda hard to, to quantify uh, such a topic. I mean the topic is Enormously,
2: it's hard to when you think about what's happened since then. Yeah, it's hard not to contemplate the role of technology in changing our lives, which brings up the question of, well, why is it that one of the systemic barriers to using our ability to connect the dots with data and bridge um, global uh, barriers, why is it seems like adoption really hasn't progressed in the way that technology has? Why is that?
0: Well, like what do you mean? Like I always wanted a central listing of every yeah, exactly. orphan the in database. the world. I mean,
2: we well, why isn't there, you know, a database? We're tracking terrorists everywhere in the world. Why can't we track babies that need, need home adopted? Or
0: or or older
2: kids that need homes. Or older or older kids too, precisely. Very that. yeah,
1: it's very interesting listening to you ask, you know, such really lovely questions. But orphans are not of interest to governments. Orphan children live you know, there's literally millions. When UNICEF had a mind to collect some data, it really wasn't, you know, it was it was hard. They were hard pressed to figure out how to do this. At one point in time, there were like 150 to 200 million orphans. Well, that's ridiculous because there was so many more than that. And they were, you know, hidden behind the scenes and people aren't happy to talk about that. I mean, currently we have 8 billion people in the world. 3 billion of those people are children. And, you know, hundreds of millions of children are living in refugee camps and orphanages in foster care you can't even quantify it because the, there's not enough money to invest governments just don't have an interest nor any money to invest in those things so it's really left to the not-for-profits uh aspects of of our work which and there are lots of there were lots of organizations like mine and there are bigger ones save the children unicef and and sure. all of that there are many that then dive in and get involved with various programs in different countries and try to bite off a teeny little bite to make a difference.
2: Are but- there are, there, are there forces, though, no, not to say conspiratorial, that want to keep the status quo? Is there an orphan industrial complex that uses them as pawns and weapons?
1: No, I don't think so. No. No, not at all. So That's it's just
2: how- a lack of interest in money.
1: Right, it's a lack of interest, money, and a lack of of, of um, understanding that what we really needed to do, and we understand that in the not-for-profit world, is um, is what we call capacity building, so you can reach sustainability. Right, and you can change the, you can change, you can mix and it Gates up. The Gates
2: Foundation, the Gates Foundation has no interest in this?
1: No, no, none of them did. I mean, you know, I I think that well, put this aside because it's not all of that particularly interesting to me. To me, I, I apologize for that. But the bottom line on on all of this is that. Yes, it's really great work to do service. It, it's, it's beautiful. I, I'm still doing it, but I'm now doing it in the Bronx. But the point of it is, is it, it's on a, such a small scale and people just are not a, a, a adapting to the, the real question at hand. And that's about women. When you sit down with every not-for-profit organization and with lots of great minds, everyone will say the same thing. If we educated and employed women to do the, the best job they can do, and they can do a really great job, they would cure everything. They probably wouldn't have as many children anymore. They probably would create a system where they would be ac- agriculture and, and uh, animal husbandry, and they would build businesses that were phenomenal. And you know the story here. The minute you bring a woman into a, into a setting where she can get educated and she can make decisions about reproduction, we have a winning situation where a woman can become so powerful and then there won't be any orphans. I mean that's the bottom line.
0: So I have a I have a question. I have this fantasy like this and this is how I ended up adopting my first one Georgica. I met with Colin Powell. It was I gave a speech and he was on the platform and I said, "What can I do for you, Colin? I want you to run for president." You know, he said, "Miss Popcorn, you run for president. I'm not running for president." I said, "No, I'm not running for president." I said, "But what can I do for you?" He said, "Take take care of one child. Save one child." And I adopted Gigi. I mean, that, just that. Now, suppose everybody or half the people just took one; it would be fine. It would be. Oh, and are you saying that we couldn't? I mean, Adam is probably the most genius communicator in, you know, selling you know products and ideas. Do you not think that we
1: could convince a lot of people, millions no, of and, people? And, and, and we shouldn't convince them. Actually, I see. I I don't see that as the root to this. I I don't come from that place. We don't
0: convince them. We make them want to.
1: Yes. That's kind of nice, but it's it's a really incredibly complicated process to adopt a child. It does cost a fair amount and it's very labor intensive regarding this factor. And that's that you can't, you got to make sure the child is not trafficked. And these are the big issues that come up in adoption, which I hope we don't kind of, spend the rest of our time dealing with. But- no, we're
0: not. But I think you're I think you're making people that listen here think this is way too hard, way too complicated. I'm not doing it. And I know that's not your purpose, but that's what's no, coming that's across. Pre- yeah, so tell I- them how to do it, Jane. How can yeah. they do it? I if- know a couple that can't get pregnant and the hesitation to adopt. She's gone through well, like five rounds of IVF.
1: Well, there's good so- reason for that. Adopting a child... Don't make it hard. Don't make it it hard. hard. I'm not going to make it hard. I just have to tell you that people have to understand that then, you know, they're adopting a child who, who may have a fair amount of special needs down the line. And they have to be ready and educated and willing to deal with all of that. And that is important. And they may not have the wherewithal, the education, the money to be able to do all of that. And there are much more efficient ways to do it, which is really tell about- Tell us people. a happy story. You can
0: have a birth child and have all kinds of things. So yes, tell us a, a happy do- story
1: about how somebody who wants to adopt a baby can. They can. We, we're constantly doing it. We but, but the point of the matter is, is that I just want to make sure we finish and button this up. And that is that governments are not so interested for international purposes they don't want their children leaving those
2: countries. I mean, that was my question. Yeah. That was my question That's about forces. Meant. Yes. Thank you, Faye.
1: Say it. Say what you mean. No, Adam. that was
2: my question. Are there forces that that benefit from the status quo?
1: Well, I don't think there are forces that benefit from the status quo, Adam. I wouldn't put it that way. It isn't that way. It's it's a complicated idea to think about, but try to think about it. These are children who if are- you can, If you can. If you can. Language, culture, whatever. These are kids who come from that world. And that world is a good world. And we should be talking about that world being a good world. And we should help that world to create better education and better economics so that those kids can be in their own country and celebrate their lives long-term. And that is really what we all actually came to. We all, everybody who did any of this, we came to this place where we really wanted to be respectful. And we didn't want to be in a position of encouraging that kind of trafficking that can occur. Under right. the- it
2: seems like you're focusing on fixing the meta problem upstream and, Absolutely. Not, and not so much interested in faith, sort of Colin Powell, make a yeah. gesture and save the world no, one that- by one.
1: Yeah, that an, doesn't not, work if you're a global health person and you understand the complexities of a world. Jane, you're not least, helping a lot of my friends oh that my. would love to adopt a baby. They, you're, that's you're not. not. A baby. It, it, they have to know what the issues are. So let's talk about the issues. Most kids who get adopted come from a background where there's not much prenatal care. They may have been in an institution. Now the kids stay for a while longer. And they have exposure to certain circumstances which make it difficult for them. And then we ha- we adopt the kids and we have to be ready to be able to give them early
2: intervention. I think like she, she's saying our therapeutic experience tries to mitigate the adoption fantasy impulse. Oh, fair? that's a
0: big mistake because nobody after nobody, this, that a,
2: nobody want to adopt
1: a kid. No, I didn't I, know all that. I wanted a baby. Yeah, well, okay. But the point is that that's not what it looks like now. I mean, I'm just saying to you, I'm working in this, in this sector. I continue to see families who are adopting. I have a few every month and I'm not, you know, it's a little different cause I'm not practicing. So I'm not seeing them in the office, but I take them through the process. I analyze their records. I help them travel. I just saw someone off this morning, a couple who went to Morocco to adopt a child, they allow Muslim couples to adopt from Morocco and. I'll be with them in the next few weeks, looking at the photographs, making sure the baby gets the circumcision done properly, speaking to the pediatrician, if there's something that comes up.
2: I can consult on circumcision if you need some help. Just well, kidding. Just kidding. can okay. okay, well, oh, I? What you say? I thought I could consult on circumcision if you oh, need some risk advice. So funny. You know,
0: anyway, here's, so here's the thing. People don't know where to, let's just go back to people. They don't know where to turn. Even if they want to hear this story that you want to tell them, they don't know
1: where to turn if they want a baby. They don't know how. That was always the case, by the way. No one knew anything. And at this point in time, the way to go about it is by going online, looking up adoption agencies. I can take you through the steps. You can go Go online. You can look up many different adoption agencies. You can go to the National uh, Foundation for Adoption, NFA, and you can... Um, You know, you can look that up and you can learn lots of things. Adoptive Families magazine still has all their issues, even though they're not publishing. They have thousands of issues which take people right through all the steps. You can go to conferences and you can meet with your agency social worker, get your home study done and get all the required education that you need that's required by state, which is really good education, uh, frankly, compared to what it used to be early on. And then you can go and see your pediatrician, who's now much more up to date on things because there's been so many kids that have been adopted, and there's a there's like a huge chapter which I was I was actually part of from the Red Book and in Pediatric Infectious Diseases early on decades ago. We wrote a beautiful chapter about how to help your child with medical issues. That's become streamlined. It's just routine, and then you can finally land in the place where you really. Need to land in, and that's about development and educational needs. Because most, so of the- I went
0: to I went to like a place like that called Great Wall of China, and I met a woman there, Chinese woman that owned this agency called Snow so Wu, Wu mm-hmm. and she came to my daughter's bat mitzvah, which was like amazing, and she was so you know, and you too, Jane, so helpful, and I was a single parent adopting. Um, I, I think there's a lot of a lot of can, and I'll say to anybody out there that's listening to this podcast, I personally would be willing to help anybody that wants to adopt a child. You can reach me at fpopcorn at faithpopcorn.com, and I will help you as much as I possibly can,
1: which is a lot. So, yes, no, um, it, I, I agree, you can, you can help them, but I think the most important, like when I, I went to APC this Sunday, the Adoptive Parents Committee, they have a, a conference every year now and we didn't have in person for three years, but now it, it, was, in, uh, it was in a person at St. John's University. And um, my talk was about helping parents in the room and there were probably about, let's say, 40 parents, some together and some single parents. And they were interested in knowing, like, what does it look like? What am I, how do I know what to expect long-term for my kid? Who's my kid going to become? How do I manage the, uh, whether it's medical or the developmental and psychosocial issues? And what does it look like? And mostly really what it was, a, it's, it's about at this point is really about the educational and psychosocial issues long-term. That's what people want to know. And I, well, and, and them how about. many, how many problems do
0: biological children or, you know, belly babies, as you call them, have, I mean, they can be autistic, they can have cerebral palsy. Um, sure. They can be so many, many things with, you know problems you don't go like oh i don't know you know you have a baby so i don't know i think it should be you know more uh but you and, had the resources faith i hate to say this to you i knew yeah. you were going to say that jane no i had the resources i did and i was very I mean, a lot fortunate of don't have those resources and they but don't i have... am willing to help others and i have i That's helped good. a nurse a nurse she was a nurse didn't have a lot of money a husband get two kids in the U.S. out of some, like, southern state. It made it so difficult. They had to produce the father who had deserted the kids, you know, to get the laws in different states to get the kids released. And he wanted, you know, some money. So, I mean, that's when I say it can help. I mean, people could help, and I'm sure you could help, too.
1: Well, I, you know, we we all help in different ways. You know, my my piece was helping orphans in their in to as we call it, okay. I was in different countries, over twenty different countries, providing service and helping the the governments and helping the community to develop. Uh, you know, I think very nice, sustainable programs that still exist. And even though I'm not running the foundation, those programs still exist, and they're helping kids in their own countries. and And that's a choice that I that I made. But I'm also still doing adoption medicine. Different countries, though. That's you know, true. The country, Lots of different countries opened and closed because of of a lot of different reasons that are what we'd call geopolitical in nature. And that has to be understood. The other piece that I think I would like to make sure that we talk about is who are adoptees? That's a really important piece at this point. And that's the, the big switch that we did, which was really great, is learning about the identity of the adoptee and really making sure that we understood that these are kids, who have their own sense of identity. They need to have that identity from, from the get-go. And we need to really support that. In fact, you're very cute to mention about Orphan Doctor. A number of the adoptees who now run families with children from China because the board no longer has a parents on it. It's just adoptees who run it because they've grown up and they have something to say about themselves, which is terrific. And basically, you know, they don't really feel that there is such a thing as an orphan. Because the orphan definition is really someone without a parent. But the truth of the matter is that children who get adopted did have parents. They had another set. who they are, we may not know. some cases we do. But their contention is that uh, children have parents and they have other parents in other countries and other parts of the United States, for instance. the word the word the word is,
2: it's very judgmental, and I agree. It seems like it's out of touch with reality, right? It's very, yep. it's Victoria, It's one of the few Victorian words that has survived in today's more politically sensitive area. Yeah, Like nobody you know would what, say
0: I mean I, I named her Orphan it. Doctor. I named her Orphan Doctor for this reason. I was trying to find, she was being interviewed by the New Yorker, really big article about change. And we needed a title. I said, you know, orphan doctor, and she took it because that pulled at the heart of people. And I think, you know, when you think of all the babies in all the cribs freezing—I mean, when I went to get you, it was so cold in China. Uh, I think, I think that's what we have to stir up again. But I agree with you, Jane. Amazingly, a hundred percent is this: Why do people? And you won't like this majority, but why do people disregard women? Why don't people like, I'm just saying people, okay, governments, like women? Why don't they support, you don't think they support children. They really almost purposely do not support females
1: and help them get that's educated. A whole, why don't you do a whole show about that? Because that's what we live with right now. We have right. a crisis for yeah. abortion because, because right. they're a bunch of men who then married women and turned them into the same person they are. So they have the same mindset. And they all think the same thing, which is that, you know, uh, don't have abortions because you're killing babies. And and so we're stuck in this place right now. We're going to have d- more orphans. Well, well, you know, it's an interesting thing. We're all talking about the birth rate, which is 4 million. Typically was around 4 million per year. Yes, it's and, dropping. And, and it dropped. And you know that happens. If you look at you know Malthusian, you know science and math, right. look at that. Things change over time. You know, like even China changed it to the in terms
2: of the birth rate. And of- we're going to see a climate change is going to create ref- millions of refugees and millions of orphans as a result.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And th- we need to have different answers. We got to wake up, and we have to have different models, different answers, and we have to all be involved with that. So that's, I guess, that's the message. The message is. Absolutely. International adoption is still around. There were a few thousand this year um, as compared to 23,000 in 2003 and 2004 each year. Things changed, probably for the better actually. Um, and, and I just want you to know that I'm completely devoted to it because I still do it. But I'm very- I have a question. Why has the number dropped in foreign adoptions, international adoptions? Because what we did was you know we created laws to try to prevent trafficking it was very simple and unfortunately not not really not executed properly they just you know they definitely just colluded with the other government with the other governments like america and ethiopia the ethiopian government's complaining i don't want my children going to live with white people in america and so what do you do with you know with if you're in a government that's operating in a country how do you how do you work that out? How do you prevent the debt ceiling?
2: <laughs> from so why did you say so, Jane? Right. Why did you say before when I asked if there's a loot if there if there are governments that are actively working to keep orphans they're not from...
1: actively working because I don't like the use of those words. I didn't agree with you. Okay, there no, are I'm just trying to... okay. Let's get on a moment.
2: They're quietly working.
1: They're not quietly working about it either. It's not that they're not even thinking about it. No, but it's, you said that, Ethiopians,
2: that Ethiopia doesn't want their babies to come here.
1: But that's not just simply a, a silly statement. Let's, let's look at it, Adam. What are okay, we saying? Look at it. We're saying that this is a country, Ethiopia. It's a country with 90 or 100 million people in it, okay? That's a country that deserves to be able to take care of their own culture, their own languages, their education, whatever it is. They want to be them. And to, to then agree to have adoption means that
2: you've failed. No, I get that. That's the upstream, solving upstream problem. I, um, I understand. But they still
0: have We're kids always... that need homes. We're...
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's I... just
2: hard. I mean, to Faith's point, it's just hard intellectually and conceptually. It would be a wonderful day if every Ethiopian orphan was well cared for. But until that point in time becomes realistic... This is faith at I thought it doesn't seem like it means that we can't solve the big problem and still make 100 babies lives better off.
1: I think it gets back to something else. I don't think that I think we're simplifying in a way that it suits it suits you but it it doesn't suit me. <laughs> it's not it's not a it, it just isn't a simplistic idea. It okay, has what? It's tell us what. Well, okay. Just give me a give me a moment here, okay? Okay. It's really about culture. When you look at Africa, for instance, as a continent, there's what, 54 countries? Each of those countries wants to be their own country. They want their own languages, their own culture, their own ideas, their own laws. They want self-determination. It's like looking at Eric Erickson's work, Childhood and Society. What do we all want? He wrote it in 1964. He was, a real, he, was a, he was actually born to a single parent and was probably the most brilliant psychologist of all time. And because he identified that we are all destined to really have our own identity and to live that identity and believe in it and love it and progress in it and perhaps make the world a better place. He identified something called generativity that comes to all of us finally when we're in our 50s and 60s and we want to do more for people. We want to make the world better. How nice. But unfortunately, humans are flawed and fighting and wanting to you know, have governance and, and tyranny, actually. And those pieces are operating. Violence and conflict and war. Those elements really interfere with this sort of naturalistic, pathway that we could have it's well identified in many many brilliant articles books people who like the famous jared diamond guns yes. Germs, and steel the greatest yes. book ever written because it identifies everything so wait, st- it. say the name again jane jared diamond adam you know the and book
2: got guns germs and steel
1: right and it, what okay. it does looks at really what who are we all From the basic soil and the ground we live in, the country we are born in, and then who are we as a result of that? And how do we all finally who gets to be successful, in a way, in the world? Those who have natural resources that who have you can raise animals and you can cult you can plant and have crops and you have resources like oil
2: or gems, whatever it is. It's a very simple. But Jane, you know, you know the resource curse, right? Yeah, they call it the resource curse because of those fifty-four countries in Africa. Some of the richest are right. the most corrupt, and their people are struggling the most.
1: It's the hardest thing for us as global health specialists when we sit down in a group, like with someone like <clears throat> um, who would be like in the old days, uh, Paul Farmer. We had this yes. great. We have a generation of such great global health people. Um, you know, it, it's just phenomenal what I was exposed to great ideas, and and really quite simple ideas, and going back and really looking at ways in which we can negotiate on a day-to-day basis in very small, micro steps, we can make great changes. So if I look at my career, for instance, and I really can talk about this, I have seen literally hundreds of thousands of people have come through my door to help me coach, You know, I'm coaching people to navigate this world. And then some of them I saw, and some of them I actually helped their children to be brought up in a practice, like Faith or other individuals or myself. And all of that was... Why don't you tell tell them about your kids, Shane? I have two adopted sons. One was adopted as a tiny infant at four months of age. And another son adopted from Vietnam. He's from Vietnam. And my other son was adopted from Ethiopia at six years of age. And they really personify exactly the things that I've alluded to today. When we look at adoption and what can happen and what what's important for people to understand so that they can be prepared
2: to take care of stuff. Guys, I'm going to have to- You go ahead. I'll please. continue. Yeah, All right. Thanks,
1: ahead. Jane, okay. speak
2: we, we have to continue this in person. I want to okay, talk about- we will. Finding, Your view about finding
1: would say, right?
2: Sounds good. Exactly.
1: Okay, continue. Go ahead. About the kids, your your kids. kids? What we're talking about is is my kids. So the little baby, he's done really, really well. He's just like he might as well have just come from my belly, a belly baby. Yeah. Because he's tiny and he's new and he was just not exposed to much. He was abandoned and but abandoned in a hospital by a very smart birth mother. Who knew that she didn't have any letdown, right? So he was already starving a little bit, but got got bait, got the formula and ended up cruising through. I mean, I had to have occupational therapy, physical therapy for him for a number of yeah, years. Say why. Okay, well, he probably had what I would consider mild CP. You know, the birth was at home. It was a, a home birth, and maybe he had a little bit of decreased oxygen. And then was not able to open his hands. He had cortical thumbs, and we had to, you know, for many many years, help to train him to be able to open his hands and use them. And now, of course, you know, of course, the rest is history. He went to physical therapy and occupational therapy. He was able to do amazing things. But of course, he had a good kepi, as we say in the in the Yiddish. His brains were in great shape, and he was quite advanced in his language. But he really didn't suffer. That much of abandonment he spoke no, tell re- us
0: about your other
1: son my oldest adopted. son but say how you were looking at a picture am I right well a friend of mine who has five adopted kids four birth and five or six adopted kids many most of them actually Ethiopia one Bulgaria and she kind of like you know did did it like a dare like, come on what are you doing you need another one Come on, and we did. We wanted another kid because it's hard to bring up one kid alone. So that was on the was on the table. But she sent me a video from an agency that was really focused on Ethiopian adoption, and she showed me, you know, look, look at these kids, aren't they great? So I got the video. I looked at it. I thought, oh Jesus Christ, you know, it was like a it was like a, a, a almost like an advertisement little groups of kids siblings you know isn't he beautiful isn't he great he's going to be a great baseball player you know the agency the head of the agency was love and she just she was she 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 was great at advertising and uh basically i i actually put the tape away and didn't didn't bother with it and then maybe you know days later i picked it up again one o'clock in the morning i'm working upstairs and i put it on in my tv which had the little vcr in it <laughs> i looked at it and, I, and then i Saw different kids, and I thought, "Wow, you know, they're really adorable," and blah blah blah. And then I saw Des, and that was it. And and he what just, about him? Well, he just was—he was totally so adorable, and he had. He's, they taught him a little English, and he was, you know, little in the screen, had his head down, and he looked up and said, "My name is Desaline." His name is Desaline which means I am rejoicing. And um, and he had a T-shirt on with ants, you know, like, like uh, um, it, I don't know what it was. It's like uh, 10 Little Indians kind of thing, the yeah. ants, the shirt. Yeah. And, and then I called the agency like uh, that morning, early in the morning, and I said, so was he spoken for? And she said, well, a lot of people are interested in a lot of things. Maybe somebody. I don't know. I'll look. I said, well, just tell me what to do because I want them. (laughs) Talk about impulsive. Exactly.
0: And so that was it. I mean. Or talk about karma or talk about connection. I mean, I tell my kids all the time. And it feels so true. I'm so lucky not to have had it. his before because i never would have found you that we came together they were born in a certain time and yes. i was ready at that time and it was like you know well we share it we say in yiddish right meant to yep. be and you had this connection so that's what i'm saying if people could experience that i know we're not solving the woman's problem we will do that we'll talk okay we won't solve oh. it but we should come on again and talk more about that but if everybody had that feeling, people that didn't think they could afford it, but they
1: can, but they have to have a different mindset. And that's all I say to people. It's, I think it's fabulous. Why would I not be in favor? And I right. always speak that way. Last Sunday when I spoke, I was absolute. Several people emailed me and they loved that I could talk about the reality and still keep them enthusiastic and hopeful that they could do it. What a compliment. And that's what yeah. I do. Or when they come to me, yes, I do it all the time. But you know, I think that it's important for you and I because we had we had skill sets. You know, you have the the wherewithal always to get good contacts to be able to give you the right resources to be able to answer the questions you want to answer now. <laughs> yesterday, oh, right, or yesterday, yeah, exactly. And for me, the same, even today, in my own life. As a child and adolescent psychiatrist I can really I can do such great work with children because I had that work I know what that looks like I understand what's going on in them you know all of the trauma that goes on in resource poor families I get it it's such a great transfer for me to be able to have experienced all of this being an adoptive parent but then being a global health person pediatric AIDS it all comes together for me in my practice in the Bronx. I love in the children. In the Bronx, you said? That's where I am. I love the Bronx. You're in the Bronx? I'm in the Bronx. I don't live there, but I work at Montefiore at the children's oh, yeah. hospital. And I work in the outpatient clinic for child and adolescent psychiatry. And I'm in a fellowship. I go to class in the morning. I see patients the rest of the day. Question do. How does somebody find you, Jane? Tell us how to find you. Oh, it's you. just the same. You can just, you go. I mean, I, I hate to say it, it's going to be changed shortly, but they can just email me at orphan doctor at gmail. The orphan doctor or orphan doctor? It's just orphan doctor at gmail.com. At gmail.com. I've and so I have a website, which that's now my opinion. I'm redoing the website because it's really, you know, it's such a, it's, it's old. It's so funny, you know, those websites get old in a minute. So I'm working with someone to retool it so it's focused on mental health issues. Because That's as good. soon as I'm done with the fellowship, I'm already doing it. I I see private patients. I'm completely... So I have a
0: question, like, and this has been in the press. So I'm not disclosing anything here that has not been written about. Angelina Jolie could have gone to anybody.
1: Right. Why did Why? she come
0: to...
1: Yeah. And how did you help her? Well, I think she came to me because people knew about me. I was very fortunate. Um, my practice grew. I was interviewed by many, many newspapers and magazines and TV stations. I really it was it was it was fantastic. I mean, I was really lucky. And people then knew that I would be the go-to um, to teach people and help them make this decision, and that I would be there also to see their children in the office. Because really, for 25 years, I actually saw the kids in the orphanage. And I, I saw the kids, well, some of the kids I had seen in the orphanage, if they had been in Russia or, or Romania, I might have seen them when they were abroad. But I would see them in my practice. They, had, they were a little postage stamp, and then they would come with the family. They might stop in New York and be living in, in Cleveland. But I would see them in the office, and then I would follow them long term. Until I, you know, retired from but that. So, pack. tell
0: us about Angelina's, why she, what she was looking
1: for. Well, she was looking, obviously, for someone who would be able to help her make the right choice. Because she started before she knew me. And she was in the wrong country. She what country con- did you recommend? I didn't recommend anything to her. Initially, when she started out, she contacted someone else. And I won't talk about that. Because that was... yeah. That, but that, then... Wasn't the right marriage for them. And she chose an Eastern European country, not really knowing all of the uh, potential issues there regarding fetal alcohol syndrome. So, um, and then she, she didn't go through with it. So she was already in that for maybe about a year or so. And then she heard about my practice and my work. And she came to me. She read about it. And then her assistant, very, very like Kathleen Cantwell, you know, very, Skilled and wonderful, the assistant said. I know just the doctor for you. She's in New York, and that's how she put us. And you well, know, what country? What country did she eventually adopt from? She adopted from. She adopted packs. Uh, well, first she adopted um, uh, her first son um, from uh, Cambodia, and I didn't have anything to do with that. That was she was she was married to, uh, you know, her first not right. her first. No no she wasn't Brent. married to Beth then oh. she was married to her second husband. she had a few other husbands there that I didn't even know about but she was a do- oh, okay. a do- married to someone else they were living all over the world, mostly in England, and they adopted um, her son Maddox then then she came to me and they did an adoption in, um, in Ethiopia. They did um, Sahara and um, and you know that was a, a already a very big an easy thing to do because basically there was a lot of an explosion of Ethiopian adoption. And there were pieces about my work that led her to, to come to me. And then after that, she did another adoption, which I was part of, PAX, Vietnam. And then she had the twin. She had, no, then she had the baby. Um, she had who, twins,
0: right?
1: Yeah, but that was the last one. She also had another huh. one in between. The first baby she had with Brat. See? It's it's like so in the past. Um, and then she had the twins, Knox and Vivian. But I wasn't... You know, and I was their primary care pediatrician, by the way, Faith. I was busy taking That's care of them. That's pretty nice. Yeah, so I would... So, But she at, adopted from the same countries you did, Jane. Any
0: coincidence there? No coincidence. But you knew those countries. Yeah. I just want to say it was... Our pleasure to have Jane, Dr. Jane Aronson on. Uh, as you can see, she's a, I don't uh like a, like a sprite, a light into this whole kind of issue. Nobody wants to touch, whatever. She's the most gifted, um, not only analyst, but pediatrician. Her intuition is magical. And not only the courses that she took. I love when you mention your courses and your degrees. It's not just that. There's something that she knows that comes from somewhere else. And I just owe you so many thanks and appreciation. You gave me the best things in my life ever, counting everything, Um, helping me adopt Georgica and Clara Cecil. And I, I just don't know how to, even tell you how much i appreciate it and i'll never forget it and you could ask me to do anything and i would do it so there you have it yeah dr jane aronson where's g Where's she where's g is studying to be a veterinarian she's out in east hampton shadowing a vet and she wants to be a vet cece is now getting dressed for dinner darling i you have to see her she is such a show pony she is so fancy. And this kid I adopted at three years old, she came off a rice paddy. They forgot yeah. to tell her that she was a foster kid, right? So we come, but thank God I had Gigi as Chinese. And my nanny, who I still have, um, uh, Yang San Chen. So she, you know, they spoke the Mandarin, they spoke Mandarin and made her feel a little better. And then she went into, I'm just going to get on your side now, three years of psychoanalysis three times a week because she was so upset. Because she felt we kidnapped her from her mother. She thought that was her mother. And that was really tough. So I'm like, I I think it's wonderful to adopt an older child, but it can come with some of these issues. But she's the best, best, and the girls are close. And people say, are they biological? Are they biological? I go, they are sisters. You know, as Where close is and let's see in terms of her um a school. What how old is she? She's gonna go to Bucknell. She's graduating uh from um Brearley, and she's going to Bucknell. Love that school. I,
1: I've been you there do? That- oh I love Bucknell. My brother used why? to Why play- tell her why, why? It's just in a beautiful place in the world and it's such yeah. a beautiful school and it's cozy and a lot of attention, small it's great. Just the She shows that she wanted that. She didn't see yeah. there were a lot of actually Chinese uh, uh um orphans actually, excuse me, adoptees at Bucknell. There were and years ago a, a kid graduated from there and it spread like a wildfire in the community. It's very funny. So it became a yeah. really uh, you know, uh, a popular place. So fun. Well, Jane, you have
0: done magnificent work. The work you're doing now, the work you did before, you were born to do this, and I think the world is very lucky to have you.
1: Thank you. Right back at you. Thanks for inviting Uh. me. (laughs) Okay, baby. Bye, Kathleen.
2: Before Faith and I go, I just want to remind you to subscribe to Jelzi, follow us, listen on your podcast platform of choice, tell your friends, make your enemies like you better, and get Jolte out into the world. We thank you.
0: Yeah, beam us up babies, ciao.
2: Beam us up, keep us up.